Welcome to the podcast of Azel Christian Church. We are a Disciples of Christ Church community in Azel, Texas. We invite everyone to be who you are with us, the doubting, the believing, the wondering, and everything in between. On this podcast, you'll hear our pastor, Reverend Ashley Dargai, preach on how the expansive and generative love of God is seen through Jesus, the prophets, the early church, and the faith forebears, and how this love helps us care for the world more deeply and faithfully. Sometimes it's messy and tough, but it's good news, and it is for you. This is your scripture reading for the morning. You can follow along on the back of your bulletin. John said to the crowd that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time. You can run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Go tell that long-tongued liar, go tell that midnight rider, tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter, tell him that God's gonna cut him down, tell him that God's gonna cut him down. And the crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. Well, my goodness gracious, let me tell you the news. My heart's been wet with the midnight dew. I've been down on bended knee, talking to the man from Galilee. He spoke to me in a voice so sweet, I thought I heard the shuffle of angel feet. He called my name and my heart stood still when he said, John, go do my will. Go and tell that long-tongued liar. Go and tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell him that God's gonna cut him down. Tell him that God's gonna cut him down. As the people were, people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. 
Well, you may throw your rock and hide your head, working in the dark against the fellow man. But as sure as God made black and white, what's done in the dark will be brought to the light. You can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. You can run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. Go and tell that long-tongued liar. Go and tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell him that God's gonna cut him down. Tell him that God's gonna cut him down. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. How do we go from joy to the world to God's gonna cut you down? within a matter of minutes. Well, cue John the Baptizer. John the Baptizer, both the radical cousin of Jesus who lives in the woods and eats bugs and shouts at people walking by, and also, very surprisingly, the patron saint of spiritual joy. John's birth story is well documented in the book of Luke. He was born too late to parents too old Perhaps he's the patron saint of spiritual joy because of the event when his elderly mother encountered a pregnant Mary, and he leapt for joy in her womb at being close in proximity to the coming Messiah. And due to his miraculous birth story, nearly as miraculous as Jesus' own arrival, people saw him as a sign of God's work in the world. So the expectations were high for this family. What would John grow up to do? His parents might have wondered as his mother's belly grew. Would he serve as a priest, helping cultivate connection to God for his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters? Would he make an impact in the humble service of carpentry, like his cousin would, talking to ordinary people about the goodness of God? Or would he be like Simeon and Anna, prophets residing in the temple, ushering in God's presence? Well, imagine his parents' disappointment that he was loud and at times obnoxious and rude, shouting at the very religious leaders they were hoping he would emulate. It makes you wonder, did he choose to go out in the wilderness? Or did his parents send him out there? Or did they come to some mutual agreement that it would be best for the family if he stayed away for a bit? In any case, he was out there. And astonishingly, crowds were coming and wanting to hear what he had to say. Not one for hospitality. He shouts at them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you of the coming wrath? One of these years, I'm going to put that on my family Christmas card. I won't get any back from people. <laughs> he tells them to bear fruit worthy of repentance. And he calls out their self-justification, their claims of, well, 
We have Abraham as our ancestor, so I think we'll be fine. Or our family has a lot of history around these parts. Or our roots go deep, so maybe slow your roll, Johnny boy. And he tells them, them being the very religious people, the VRPs, that you cannot dismiss God's ongoing call on your life with some kind of appeal to heritage. John points to the stones and says, heritage? Ha! God can make these stones the sons and daughters of Abraham if God needs to. He tells them the axe is waiting to be pulled back to chop down the tree with the deep roots they boast about. It's harsh. I mean, ouch, John. He's not even talking to me and my feelings are hurt. And I can imagine people in the crowd saying, we came all the way out here for this. But the people are curious about this confrontation. So, John, um, what should we do? They ask. How do we bear fruit worthy of repentance? How do we avoid this coming wrath? And I wonder what kind of answers they might have expected from such a radical, affronting presence, right? Abandon your home and families. Dwell in the desert like him. Start a revolution. But actually, our boy is full of surprises because he essentially tells them to return home. He doesn't say this explicitly, but he directs them to their everyday, ordinary lives, their jobs, their neighbors, their families. God is not out there to be reined in. God cannot be coerced with big, sweeping gestures of religiosity. No, God is in the nitty-gritty dailiness of our lives. Instead of constructing some big, flashy religious move, John tells them to inhabit their life as deeply and as generously as they can. If you're looking for holy ground, it's beneath your feet. It's the carpet in your house. It's the tile in your workplace. It's the sand beneath your sandals. And he addresses the tax collectors. Collect only the money prescribed for you, no extras. And he tells the mercenaries, don't extort money by threats or false accusations. And to the VRPs, don't allow your religious heritage to make you arrogant or complacent or entitled. And to everyone who has anything, you have gifts to give, John says. So stop hoarding and live generously. This kind of repentance John is describing is not some ethereal or mysterious thing. He's saying all the possibilities for salvation that we need are embedded in the lives God has already given us. The kingdom of God is not out there. It's in here, within and among us, sprouting up in our day-to-day -day interactions. And if we could stop right there, that'd be all fine and good. But then we get to this last part of the text, the winnowing fork in the unquenchable fire. Just the mention of them triggers my internal fire and brimstone alarm. You know, I'm cower a little bit. In the name of all that is sweet baby Jesus, the lectionary writers who chose this text for Advent must have been hanging out with like Ebenezer Scrooge, right? 
Who else could imagine such, such stark language at Christmas time? I mean, that couldn't be right. I did just watch The Muppets Christmas Carol, so Scrooge was motivated by greed, and Advent is very anti-greed. So maybe they were inspired by the Grinch, the one who hates Christmas and people in general, and whose heart is multiple sizes too small. But that can't be right either, because each text of Advent, no matter how harsh, has been pointing us to expanding the borders and becoming more inclusive and thinking about what God is doing through Christ. So contrary to the Grinch, the heart of Christmas is actually many sizes too big for us. So why, oh why, are we reading about a winnowing fork and an unquenchable fire two weeks before Christmas? Well, we don't do a lot of winnowing these days. At least, it's not in our common cultural vocabulary. But it's helpful in this context to understand exactly what chaff is. So it's the husk, like I talked about in children's moment, surrounding the seed. And it's like the husk you see around a cob of corn. It's inedible. The chaff was seen as useless, at least until tamales were invented. And it kept the seed from growing. So the chaff was thrown in the air with a winnowing fork, and the wind would blow it over a couple of feet. And it was this labor-intensive sorting activity. And this is a very particular type of sorting, because there are quite a few metaphors for sorting in scripture, right? Sheep and goats, it's a big one in Matthew, the ones who say, Lord, Lord, who Jesus never knew. But winnowing is not a sorting of good grain and bad grain. The purpose of winnowing is to save every piece of grain. Because the grain and the chaff coexist on the same plant. They are part of the same organism. And husking and winnowing the chaff pulls it away from the grain so that the grain can be used. Our Advent series has been focused on downsizing, on purging, on scaling back our spirituality, all about preparing for the coming of Christ. And we began Advent thinking about the end of the world. We started very big, the cosmos, getting ready for Jesus. And then we got a little smaller and moved to institutions with the prophet Malachi, government, religion. How should we brace, how should they brace for the incoming of God? And today we get smaller and we look at our daily lives our interactions with others, our relationships, our vocations. And next week, we'll scale even further down to a single family, leading us to the fulfillment of Advent in one baby who we know was there at the beginning of the cosmos. So we're winnowing down, we're refining our expectations, we're getting focused so that we're ready for Jesus in this rhythm of faith that brings us through Advent each year. And if the wheat and the chaff coexist on the same plant, then the chaff is in our, in our lives as part of us. The winnowing is the work God is doing within us. It's the stuff that John is calling out. Self-absorption, apathy, greed, entitlement, anything that makes us less generous, 
less fair or less considerate of others. And the work of this winnowing fire, or this winnowing fork in the unquenchable fire, the baptism and the work of the Holy Spirit is not to destroy, but to sanctify. You see, there's dignity in this harsh word, because what John is assuming in his abrasive challenge is that we have the capacity to rise and meet it. There's still something in us that is worthy of redemption, of sanctification, of salvation. We often equate judgment with condemnation, but to judge something means to see it clearly. And John is seeing something that perhaps we can't. The adolescent John said to his very religious parents and then to very religious people, things cannot stay this way forever. They have to change, and they're going to change. I've been fascinated by Johnny Cash's music for a while. I read a book called Trains, Jesus, and Murder, The Gospel According to Johnny Cash. It's an excellent title. And what struck me was that it was as if Johnny Cash lived in Advent in his spirituality his entire life. Cash spoke of the apocalyptic as easily as someone might talk about breakfast cereal. His music was marked by scripture, by a sense of expectation and watching. The man in black stood in solidarity with the poor and suffering, not out of some great benevolence, but because he identified so deeply with them. And his outlook on the judgment of God was most appropriately on his own self, not on all the sinners out there. Now, what was God going to do with Johnny? And God's Gonna Cut You Down is not a Johnny Cash original. It's an old American folk song, previously recorded in a folksy, upbeat tune, which is kind of hard to imagine. But Cash slowed it down, and he gave it this ominous downbeat. And in his grovelly voice, he gave a warning. Was he warning people out there, or was he looking in the mirror? It's hard to tell with him. But perhaps we can take his warning of God's going to cut you down, not as a warning of coming destruction of our lives, but as a welcome of God doing the work it takes to preserve us in love, to save us from the apathy and greed and self-absorption that would suffocate us. The chaff is being thrown in the air, to be blown by the wind and to be cleansed from us by the spirit of the living Christ. And we rejoice today on Joy Sunday because the God of the universe sees in us something worth preserving. We rejoice today because all is not lost. Nothing is beyond redemption. In the winnowing, we are being preserved. And so we return home to our daily lives, to our workplaces and our families, and inhabit our lives as deeply and as generously as we can. Because that is where God is working. And that is very good news. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Azel Christian Church Podcast. 
Azel Christian Church exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through meaningful liturgy during worship, a public witness through outreach in the community, the nurturing of the spiritual life of every age group, and the witness of each member through discipleship, baptism, and the sharing of resources. To support this podcast and the ministries of Azel Christian Church, visit azelchristianchurch.org. Here you can contribute through giving online or find our Venmo information. If you're looking for a church or simply want to talk to one of our ministers, contact us through our website and we will be in touch. Talk to you soon.